Amen. Thank you very much. All right. First uh, John chapter 5 tonight. I want to look at prayer, prayer meeting. I realized I was going to be preaching a couple hours ago. Just two verses here this evening. I don't think we'll be too long. Verse number 14 and 15. I want to look at the subject of confidence in praying. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that He heareth us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I certainly love you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I need your help tonight. Lord, I pray you help my thoughts to stay on your word. And Lord, help me to preach this clearly and, and to teach and to be a help to your people. Lord, remove all the different distractions, Lord, from my mind and help me to concentrate solely on your word and to feed your people. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. I pray that you would use this. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. That even this evening they repent and place their faith in Christ. Again, Lord, I certainly need you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, confidence can do a lot for you. I, I, I brought it up before. Um, when I was my freshman year in high school. Freshman year in high school, wrestling season hits. And me and my cousin both tried out. For, we were both freshmen, and then we had, his brother was a year older than us in his sophomore year. And we decided to try out for the varsity team. And so we did, and it was pretty simple in wrestling. You go to the weight class, you're going to wrestle, and all those competing, whoever dominates, wins for that weight class, you're the starter. And me and Dave both happened to win. We had to beat, each of us had to beat up two different opponents, two different weight classes, and we won. And so it, it's time for my very first uh, varsity wrestling match. And I had zero confidence. None. My grandfather showed up. My dad, nobody ever showed up for sporting events I did. And now here I am, my freshman. I'm wrestling varsity. These guys are a whole lot different than wrestling eighth graders right now. And I've got zero confidence going in. And I think I lasted, I don't know, I think I lasted about 60 seconds in that very first wrestling match. I mean, from the way in on, looking at I was wrestling, I was looking at all the reasons why I'm going to lose this match. That's all I was looking at, was this. I want to know the guy's record, what was his record, anything to try and give me some confidence. I was hoping it was like 1 in 10. My confidence would have been boosted at that point. And I saw his record, and it did not help at all. I think he had three, I think he was a senior, he had three losses the season before. I didn't like that at all. But my confidence affected me greatly. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but it, it does fit with this. Remember, I've told it before, at least at a minute of faith. My cousin, who was older than us, was excellent at running. Very good. One of the best on the team, the captain of the team. And, and again, it was a few. We're, we're about four or five meets into the season. We're on a bus. It's dark out. It's wintertime. And we're on our way to wrestle Elyria Catholic. And, and, and he's, we're, both of us are on the end of a seat. He's right in front of me, right behind him. He has his hoodie up and head down. And, and they're passing down on the clipboard. It's who we're wrestling. 
and the record. Boom. Here's who you're wrestling. Here's who you have at EC tonight. And so it's going to go to him. Then it's going to get passed directly to me. So it gets, it gets to Danny, and he just grabs it and throws it to me. And I looked, and then I tapped him. I said, you didn't even look. He said, I don't need to. He goes, I don't need to know who I'm wrestling. He said, they better know who they're wrestling. And I thought, there's my problem. I don't have that confidence. And guess who won that night, and guess who lost that night? <laughs> Let's take another example of broken confidence. What can happen to you if you don't handle it right when you, you come across a defeat? The other cousin that I went in with, um, Dave. Dave was, he, he had made varsity, both of us were the, the two freshmen to make varsity that year. And he was a much better wrestler than I was. Like his brother, he was very good. Eighth grade year, he was undefeated. He pinned every single opponent. And uh, we were wrestling, I think it was our second meet of the year. We were wrestling Oberlin. And he got pinned pretty quick. Um, I still remember who he was wrestling. He was wrestling Alan Freeze. Alan Freeze was good. Dave went out there, very confident, but Alan got him and pinned him. At least that season, he just did not recover from that. His confidence was broken. It affected every time he wrestled after that. When it comes to our prayer time, confidence is so important. Confidence will affect how you pray and how much you pray. When you have confidence that you're going before God and that he hears you and that he desires to answer, you, if you have that confidence, that, that approach to it, you're going to pray more and you're going to pray with more fervency. It's incredibly important. Many times one of the things that hinders us in our prayer life is that lack of confidence. There can be a, a crisis of confidence when it comes to getting our prayers answered. And think about it, there's probably not another Christian discipline that is written about more than prayer. I don't think there is. But it's also one of the most neglected Christian disciplines. So, in our text, what I just want to focus on is the role confidence plays um, in our prayer life. I think when you approach prayer, understanding God wants to answer your prayers... Um, and you do it with his instructions, you can have confidence in your prayer life. So we see in our text, because one, that we are saved, eternal life is given to us, uh, you know, those who have placed their faith in Christ, they should have a strong measure of confidence in God that he will hear their prayers. So how confident are you that God hears and answers your prayers? To the point of whatsoever you ask. That's tough right there, isn't it? But that's in that verse. I just want to look at two things with this tonight. First off, I want to look at some principles in confidence. Verse 14, I want you to, I want you to notice something. I'm going to start here with this verse, and then I'll go on to some other sections in the Bible. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. All right, who's the him here? The hymn is dealing with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The confidence that we have in God. The confidence has to be in the right person. We know God has all power and the ability to answer prayers. Yet many times our confidence is weak when we think of him answering our prayers. The confidence doesn't break down in God's ability. All right? Uh, most Christians don't question God's ability to answer the prayer. 
our confidence gets hindered when we question God hearing our prayers. Confidence gets, it gets broken down at that, at that level. We can be very skeptical, and that will affect confidence. That, will then, that hinders faith. It's tied into faith. Faith and confidence go together. The stronger the faith, the stronger the confidence. I have found that if I try and base my confidence on other things than God, whether it's even answer prayer, my skepticism can kick in and my confidence is defeated. The confidence needs to be in God. Because we can question everything. You can come up with your mind, everything else. If your confidence isn't in the right thing, if you're trying to put confidence in this circumstance or that circumstance, or, or, or maybe God did this or maybe God didn't do that, you're likely to see your confidence greatly affected. But it was, just has to stay in God. It needs to be in God, now get this, and His character. Because of who God is. Look over in Matthew chapter 7. Verse number 9. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? This is similar to Luke 11. Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Even when the disciples went to the Lord to teach us how to pray. When that prayer started, it was, you come to God, our Father. See, the moment you got saved, God becomes your Father. And if and the comparison it gives in Luke 11 and in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Lord Jesus Christ did that twice while I was on the earth in, in lesson and principle on prayer. You can think of your own children when they come to you. You desire to answer their request if you can and if it's right for them. You want to. I, I seriously doubt there's a parent in here that you just can't wait to tell your kids no. That's just not true. They come to you. I, I, mean, I mean, let's face it. For, for the most part, men, men are competitive. You know, we like to succeed. We want to excel. We want to beat others. For the most part, in the life of a man, the only person that he wants to see excel him is his son. You want what's best for your children. Now listen, if that's true, I'm taking from the same principle, and we're evil. How much more does God desire to answer our prayers? I mean, and that's how we're to approach him in our prayer life. And approach him that way. You pray to God the Father. Our Father which art in heaven. I mean, come with the right approach. That you're going to your heavenly Father. That builds confidence. We are to have confidence in Him. Look at Romans chapter 8.
Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When I have verses like that in the Word of God, when it's making comparisons to what I need, when I'm coming before the Lord to ask, and what He was willing to do to save me, it builds confidence. Listen, that I know, listen, if this is something that's right, God desires to answer it. Again, the confidence breakdown many times because of our approach to God. We're not hitting Him, seeing Him truly as our Father. These are thoughts that should be present in your mind when you're coming before Him that help confidence. Because confidence is tied into faith. You better believe faith is the key to prayer. And again, the breakdown comes in. Pastor, it's not that I, I know God can answer. It's just me. There's something else that's tied into confidence. When we pray, many times we finish our prayer with what? In Christ's name. It's not magical words. Not at all. Matter of fact, when I finish my prayer with those words, my mind, majority of the time, it's just habit. Now, just the overwhelming majority of the time, probably sometimes it doesn't, it, it, it affects my confidence immediately in what I just prayed. Because I realize I'm not coming to God in my own name. I'm not. God, I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer this because of me. I'm not. I know I would never get anything. But I come to you in the name of your son. You know, it's the illustration that fits it perfectly. If I walk into Alaska USA Federal Credit Union and I write in my checkbook a check for $1 million and I hand it to them, it, they're going to laugh. Uh, they're they're going to say, you don't have a half a percent of this in your account right now. But if I wrote it and I had a check in Elon Musk's name, I wouldn't have a problem. When we come before and part of our confidence is recognizing God as Father and, and knowing, yes, we have, we have a sinful nature. I'm going to tie that in because sin will affect confidence. But I have the... I have the ability, because I'm saved, to come to Him in Christ's name. My confidence in prayer is based on God, His character, Him being my Father. And as I mentioned in the introduction, when confidence hits, and this is the second principle I want to jump onto right here, there's three I'm going to cover in this first point is that the more confident you are that God hears and answers, the more you will ask. You will. The more you know God hears and answers, the more you're going to pray. And if you're not asking, you're not going to get in. That's James chapter 4. We have not because we ask not. Or we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our lust. If you're not asking, you're certainly not going to get anything. Asking is a must. You're not, going to see, you're not going to see answered prayers if you're not praying. And by the word, the word simply means asking. But asking, we know from the Lord's teaching in prayer specifically, involves a key word, persistence. It's referred to in the Bible as importunity. Luke 11, once again, I'm not going to turn there, but Luke 11, 
Christ in teaching on prayer stressed the importance of importunity. Not only in that case, but on several other occasions when he taught on prayer, he stressed the importance of persistence, of importunity. The widow, please, I need this. Please avenge me. Please avenge me. There's persistence there. You say, well, I don't understand why God requires that. I'll I'll try and give some principles to it. But that shouldn't matter. If it's taught, do it. If it's clear in Scripture, do it. You trust to have the faith that God knows what he's doing because he's God. That he just didn't come up, well, I'm going to make you work for it. That's what I'm going to do. I actually believe that the creator knows what he's doing. And that if he asks us to be persistent, to have importunity, he has a very good reason for it. Trust him. My daughter, Heather, was the image of this. She would not stop asking until she got it. If she knew it was something she was going to get, we had a store, I mean... It just, it just didn't end. It was just over and over and over and over. And just like Christ said, I would answer, stop. Okay, you, you, can, get the, you can get the whatever it is now. We'll get that bread. We'll get that type of bread. Uh, you, you win. I give. And the verse brings up asking according to God's will. Now, there's different thoughts on, on when you read different books, because like I said, it's written about a lot. I remember going back to my early 20s, I read all, so many books on prayer, lots. And I remember one of the common thoughts was, was, that, was that God gives different avenues for wherever your strength might be to get your prayer answered. Whether that was in faith or that was with a group or that was in God's will. I, really, I think they all sort of tie together. I think they all sort of tie together that one will be feeding off the other. But let's get specific here with God's will. Because we know when we pray in God's will, you can be confident it will be done whatever you ask. So then we need to be confident if that's the case. You better understand, you better be confident in God's word. So you can know this is God's will. I see it here. You can base it on God being your father. I know, I, I know this is uh, um, uh, according to God's will. Now, I'll come back to here, here in a little bit. I want to cover one thing. I'm going to come back to before we finish. How do we pray in God's will? I'll come back to that because I know, I know it's key. But let me bring something else up right now. I, I want to bring up a few things that affect our confidence in our prayers. Or things that out, can outright prevent God from hearing us. Things that perhaps should affect your confidence in your praying. Alright? Let's go to the book of James, chapter 4. I referred to this once, but let's go ahead and look at it.
Verse 3. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss. So that's possible. There are people who are praying, maybe persistently praying, but they're asking amiss. Well, what's the key to amiss? It finishes. That you may consume it upon your lusts. Yes, people often pray for things to consume it upon their lust. And that's obviously very far from God's will when you're doing that. You know, you could even be praying for the salvation of somebody, and it's actually on your own lust. You say, I don't get that. Let's say you have a, I'll give a hypothetical out that I'm sure actually happens several times. Let's say, let's say Tim Thomas is lost which isn't a big stretch. Um, but let's say he was a horrible boss. All right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed it out and I didn't have to. But let's say just a horrible boss. It's just miserable going to work. And you start praying for his salvation because I want a better boss. That's a self-centered... When, when you're missing the whole point of really what's at stake, a soul, eternity, heaven, hell, your mission, what you're commanded to do, you, you are a missionary where you're at, where you work. But no, for you, I'm praying now because I'm tired of this guy. So you can even have, be praying about something that, that is right, that you should be praying about, but your heart's so far off, you're still asking to consume it upon your own lust. Or people that just ask for things all the time. My dad, who was, I hope he trusted Christ before he died. I, I don't know that he, that he did. I hope he did. But he would tell me all the time, and I witnessed to him, I don't know how many times, more than any other human being, I witnessed to my dad. And he'd call him up all the time that he's praying he would win the lottery. And as soon as he won the lottery, he'd buy me a church. People pray for that stuff all the time. Lord, just, if you just, it's just to consume it upon their lust. Obviously, if we're praying things that are based on carnality, the wrong mind is in control. Your prayers are going to be amiss. Let's look at something else here. Go back to 1 John, but let's go back to chapter 3. I'm going to read another verse first. I'm going to tie it into that one. Uh, verse, I think we all know, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Notice that same word he used over in chapter 5. But look at this. And what's we after we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Sin certainly does prevent God from hearing us. Now, we all have sin. So don't let the devil play with your mind here and say, see that you're never going to get a prayer answered. You should have no confidence. No. It's when you're harboring this thing. It's when you refuse to deal with it. It's when you're, it's, it's, it's you pretend it doesn't even exist. 
God does not require perfection. I mean, we're coming to him because we need him. But if you're going to be harboring and harboring sin that he's convicting you of that you don't want to deal with, that's a problem. That should affect confidence in your prayers. I'm not sure who said this. I think it was Spurgeon, but I cannot remember. Men, uh, it's a quote though, men would pray better if they lived better. That's true. So carnality, when the carnal mind's in control, that's going to affect confidence. Harboring sin that you do not want to deal with, that's going to affect confidence in prayer. Thirdly, indifference. God wants the heart. Indifference. There's a reference, it's sort of in Proverbs chapter 1, starting around verse 24, coming near the end of the chapter there, where the Lord was dealing with the nation of Israel, how they would, none of his counsel, uh, they, just, they just didn't care. I'm reaching out, and he, he finishes that, if you remember, so I will not hear them. They were just indifferent to the things of God. Too often today we have so many things stealing our heart from God that we go to him like a genie in the bottle when we need something, when he never had your heart to begin with. And then you expect him to be your It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Don't be so indifferent to God that now all of a sudden you can come before him with confidence. No, he should have your heart. And the truth is, think about this. It's, it's, uh, this is what I mean. It's all just so connected. If you truly don't have a heart for God, you will care little about his will. And if you care little about his will, you're going to be asking amiss a whole lot. Fourth thing, James chapter 1. Verse number six. But talking about the context is coming before God to request specifically of wisdom. But he says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that's very true. Somebody who is double-minded... Again, it's almost like there's two personalities at times. Double-minded. It just doesn't affect your prayer life. It affects you as a person. Um, but that truly affects prayer life. Faith is making the choice to settle on God, not wavering back and forth. Remember, faith is not without doubt. It goes hand in hand. If there's faith, there's doubt. We walk by faith because it's faith. If, once we're in heaven, faith is done because we're there. We see God. There's no need for faith. It's the evidence of things hoped for, uh, uh, um, uh, of things not seen. I can't quite quote it now. It just went right out of my mind right there. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, I started off wrong. That's true. If anything, you're a Christian. If you start off wrong, you're wrong at the end every single time. That's right. Somebody needed that. It's the only reason I messed up that verse. 
But with faith, there's doubt. What you concentrate on is you choose faith. It's a choice, not a feeling. It's not a feeling, okay? If you're waiting for an overwhelming feeling of faith, you're going to wait a really long time. It's acting. It's, it's, it's just like when the Lord's, when the Lord's called you to, uh, let me give an example. Let's say you're out there, and the Lord pricked your heart to give this person a track, and you don't want to. Like, I do not want to give that track, that Lord, anybody else with that person. And so you determine you're going to do it. And so you say, okay, Lord, I, I want boldness. And so you wait until so, all the fear is gone. You're waiting for your boldness. And it never happens, and he goes away. No, you don't understand boldness. Boldness is you acting with the fear. Do you understand that? It's in spite of it. It, that's why it's boldness. If there's no fear, you don't need boldness. So with faith, there's doubt. You concentrate on the faith. Double-mindedness is dangerous. Again, that ties back into faith being the key to getting your prayers answered. So now, let me come back to praying in the will of God and we'll be done. Our text made clear, and we all know it to be true. If we're praying in the will of God, it's going to get answered. So, that begs the question, how can we know what we're praying is in the will of God? So let's, let's try and break this down step by step right here. Number one is the most important and has to be in place is what you are praying in agreement with the God's Word. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Why is that the case? Because that helps you to pray in God's will. Because you know the Bible. If you have a shallow understanding of God's Word, you can't have the confidence that when you're praying that this is God's will. I mean, I mean, you can hear all the time there, there's people that, that will pray and it's clearly for something that's not God's will. But it's not that they're being hypocritical necessarily. Many times it's just a case of ignorance and that's it. It's not even lust that's involved. It's just ignorant of what the Bible teaches. We need to learn the Bible. Growing in it, growing in His grace, praying for wisdom, praying for growth. And as Christ said, again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Number two, let's say it's in agreement with God's will. Let me give you another thing to ask yourself. Is what you're praying about, could you answer this question? This is based on 1 Corinthians 10.31. I think we all know that verse. But whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You ask yourself this. Would what I'm praying for glorify God or glorify self? That's time more in the motivation now. Okay? Would this glorify God? All right, if you check those, say yes, there's nothing in Scripture that's against this. This is not sin against God. I, I can see how God can be glorified in this. 
But what if you don't have those two? What if there's not clear biblical instruction? You know, you're not certain. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I know the Word of God. I'm just not certain. The Bible just doesn't hit this directly. Does that, that happens all the time. So what do we do without clear biblical direction in regards to what we're praying for? This is where I believe, from Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God comes in. He indwells us. He knows exactly what we need. This, this, is, this is where we're trusting in the Spirit of God to direct our prayer life, as it's discussed in Romans chapter 8, where he even makes intercession for us, which groanings which cannot be uttered, because he knows exactly what I really need. So what I'm saying is this. When your heart is truly right, and you're, you're seeking what God wants, he has your heart. And even, even if you're not certain, it's just not clear. And God knows your mind. He knows, he knows listen, he's desiring to serve me. He, he seeks to glorify me. But this isn't clear. He knows why you don't think it's clear in Scripture. When you come before him, that's where God's spirit can kick in and say, this is what he needs. Right here. It's this. You know, just like I was convinced, prayed about it, that, that God's will for me when I finished high school is heading right off to Bible college immediately. And the Lord turned that a whole nother direction. A whole nother direction. Uh, I, I would, well, I would sort of start it later, later on that year. But nonetheless, a whole nother direction where I ended up in the Air Force. And that wasn't any rebellion. That wasn't me actually, I'm tired of this. By any means. All of us still prayed, and, and, and you know the story. I don't have time to get into it tonight. How the Lord directed, and I would spend the next nine years, have Bible college finished before I left the Air Force. But the next nine years, I'd be in the Air Force. Spending time under three different pastors, spending time with my family, one year remote with my family in Kunsan. And little did I know, I would be on the mission field in New Guinea a few years after that. But the Lord knew. He, God's Spirit said, you know what? He doesn't need Bible college right now. I know he's praying that, but that's not it. Let's direct this. And I talked to the Air Force on a Friday. He called back on Saturday. And that was the only meeting. One meeting. One. One half-hour meeting. And I left Monday. This is where the Spirit of God comes in during these times. We have to trust him. Why, though, does God at times say no to prayers? Including those outside his will, of course. But why? Many times God is protecting us by telling us no. And answer to those prayers that are outside his will or whatever. Uh, Wes Stafford was in town for the day. He already flew back. Flew in this morning and flew out. We were talking before he left. Uh, Mitch and myself and Wes... And I told him, so I'm bringing this up tonight on prayer. I said, I said, I said let me, here's an example of God saying no, and you better be glad, 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 glad that God said no. When Peter went to the Lord and did not want him to suffer and did not want the cross. Imagine if the Lord answered that prayer. Obviously, that's a huge no. And Peter would realize, wow, I can't believe I prayed for that. 
There are times God says no. You have to trust Him. He sees the end from the beginning. He's not even in time. He knows everything that will come about, how all the ramifications will lay out. You have to trust Him. He knows what He's doing, even we don't understand. We can't see it at the time. And Peter, with all his passion for the Lord, and Peter, he's coming at this for a passion for God, wanting God's glory. Lord, no, you cannot suffer. You're, you're, I mean, you're God. He did not realize how far away his prayer was from the word of God. Again, you can't see the end from the beginning. Trust the Lord. Another thing when God says no, many times it is God helping us grow by telling us no. Great example of this. Again, for time's sake, not turning there. We all, we, I think the majority of us should know this, if not all of us. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul praying to God about the thorn in the flesh. It was a no. No, no, no. I'm not answering that, Paul. Paul was a man with a spiritual mind. Paul was a man seeking to glorify God. He had this true infirmity of the flesh. And he's asking God, please remove it. And God said, no, I won't do it. And then the Lord told him, why though? Paul. Man, you have these abundance of revelations that have been given to you. I know what will happen if I answer that prayer. You don't want that. Paul, my grace is sufficient. Paul, uh, you, you need to understand what I can do with your suffering. And then, of course, Paul then was praying, yes, Lord, then don't take it away. Keep it. Keep it. So there are times that God tells us no to these things that we're asking because he knows it's key for our growth, for what he has for us. And then lastly here, there are times that God says no because he has something far greater planned. A great example of this in Scripture is John chapter 11. That should probably ring a bell. John 11. Lazarus. Think what happened that day. <clears throat> Servant is sent to go find Christ. Lazarus is close to death. He's very sick. The servant leaves. When the servant leaves, Lazarus dies. He's dead. Servant doesn't know. Heads out. Finds Christ. And tells him Lazarus is sick. Now, remember, the Lord had the ability right there to heal him or whatever. Of course, he's already dead, but they don't know that. I mean, the Lord does, but that's it. But nobody else knows it. They just think it's sick. But he, 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 matter of fact, he doesn't even leave for how long? Two days. He stays put. He doesn't even leave to go there. He doesn't say. He, do, he doesn't pray for him. He, nothing. But we all know what happened. You, you remember Mary and Martha both coming to him, each individually. Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Well, we don't get it. Why? Why didn't you answer? Why did that take place? And boy, you can see it throughout. The Lord knew by that delay that the disciples' faith would be strengthened. God would be glorified in a great way. It's considered 
of the outside of his own resurrection, the greatest miracle that, that he had performed. I think they're all just incredible. I mean, you're, you're calm on the ocean, whatever you're doing. But here's Lazarus. I mean, think of all that took place. Remember, and he told the disciples that, didn't he? When, the, when he told them straight out, Lazarus is dead. And he told them this. And he said, and I'm glad for your sakes. Why? Because he knew when they saw Lazarus come out of that grave, their faith would be strengthened. There are times God says no or delays to strengthen your faith. You have to trust him. He knows what's best, the beginning from the end. He knows what happens if he just gives in. Uh, uh, let me finish with a final example of that, of those who did not trust God. And they began praying for something they shouldn't have been praying for. When the children of Israel went into the wilderness, they got tired of manna. Tired of manna. And they started praying for flesh, for meat. For me, and here's God. I have been providing for you. I've been meeting your need. And remember, the whole plan was to get them pretty quickly, by the way. Don't forget that. The initial plan is not 40 years in the wilderness. This is to go actually pretty fast. Had, had, had there, of course, the Lord knew what happened. But uh, aside from that, had they been obedient and had faith and went right in, they would not have been in the wilderness that long at all. I can't remember the exact time. I remember I mapped it. I want to say it was eight weeks or ten weeks or something like that. Would have been it. And here they are getting tired of manna. And the scary thing is, is in the verse in Psalms when it talks about it. It says, and God gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. They didn't want that prayer answered. Trust God when he says no. He knows the end from the beginning. With heads bowed and eyes closed.